Take your Bibles, if you would, and let's turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter. I've talked on this subject before here in the, in the church, but I think it's, it's time we revisit the subject. It's a, it's a subject we, we oftentimes need to, to revisit quite often. You know, sometimes it's good to hit the reset button, you know? And uh, so I think this morning, spiritually speaking, we want to hit the reset button. Why are we here? Why are we here this morning? Why, why did we... T- somebody said to worship. I hear that. Yeah, yeah, we, we are. We, we say that, you know. We're here to worship. I hope that's why we're here this morning. You know, it's really when we think about this, I'm afraid we, we sometimes we've, we've sort of lost our way. We should be gathered here this morning to genuinely worship, to look to God, to lift our hearts and our voices, our minds, our soul, everything, focus in worship to God. Yet, Sometimes I think we struggle, don't we? The distractions that fill our minds. Um, Some of us maybe don't quite have the voices as others, so we don't really lift our voices to the Lord when we sing. Some of us wish others wouldn't lift their voices to the Lord. (laughs) But you know what? Really, why are we here? I want us to think about this subject today, and I want to talk to you about the glory of, of God. I want, to, I want to talk about the glory of God. We're here to worship. We are here to glorify God. If we've came for any other reason, guess what? We've got the wrong reason in our heart and mind. So it's time to hit the reset button, spiritually, and let's ask God to help us to glorify Him. You know... It's been said the chief end of man is to glorify God. Our purpose for being, the only reason you're alive today, the only reason why you still have breath left in your body is for God's glory. Think about it like this. You were created to bring God glory. Whether you die and go to heaven or whether you die and go to hell. The end result is the same. God will be glorified. Did did you hear that? Whether you go to heaven or whether you go to hell, the end result is the same. God will be glorified. Our purpose is to give God Glory. That is our purpose. That's what life is all about. You just got the answer to the meaning of life. People spend their, all of their days searching. Some people dedicate their entire lives to seek out what the meaning of life is. You just heard it. And you can bank on it as being true because God said it so. 
My goal this morning is right here in 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. That in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Father, that is my prayer. Lord, as I speak today, remove me and allow your words to speak to those that are here. Lord, may we look to you to glorify you this day. Help us to truly understand why we're here. Lord, let us, let our lives bring glory and honor to you in all that we say and do. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. I believe Christianity is being hijacked. I believe Christianity has lost its way to some degree. Hear me and see if I'm wrong. I I believe what's happened in Christianity is we've gone from being God-centered to self-centered. Especially here in America. All of culture tells you, it's about you. You deserve a break today. You know? You've worked hard. You deserve this. Our society teaches it's about you. And we've bought into it. Anything that happens, it's about me. It's about my life. It's about my wants, my needs. Me, me, me. Uh, I had hoped to show you this video. If you get a chance, you go to a place called Sermon Spice, sermonspice.com, and, and look up this video. It's all about me. I, I was going to get it, but it was 20 bucks, and it was funny, but it wasn't 20 bucks funny. You know what I'm talking about? So you can look at the sample online. But it, it is pretty funny because this guy is doing a parody of Christian songs, and he's sitting at the, the piano, and he's playing, and, and it's like an infomercial. And it's like, now you can order the greatest hits. Those songs you grew up with, those songs you love, it's all about me. And the guy starts singing, it's all about me. And he's doing, you know, and they've changed all these hymn songs. Lord, I lift my name on high. Lord, I love to sing my praises. And he goes through all these hymn songs and they're all about himself. Now, I know some of us are saying, well, that's a little bit blasphemous. Exactly. But yet... When we're self-absorbed and self-consumed, we can stand here and sing the songs, but we're really doing just that. Christianity, I believe, has been hijacked. Our faith's been, been hijacked. We've bought into consumerism. I'll give you some other examples. What am I going to get out of this service today? 
you know, we, we, we open up our Bibles. We, God, what do you have for me today? Now, now, please, hear me out. Does God speak to us through His Word? Yes. Do we need to hear from God? Yes. But this is, is secondary. When we come to the Word of God, when we come and gather as saints, when we come together to worship, it's not about us. It's about Him. It's about God getting the glory. So when I go to Scripture, what I need to be asking is this. God, show me you. Show me you in these pages. Teach me about who you are. Help me to see your attributes. You know, when we go to the store, a lot of times if I go out, or I go out anywhere, I can leave the house and walk over to the church and I get back, my kids are like, Daddy, what'd you get for me? What'd you bring me? You know? Did you get me anything? And I thought about this as I was doing this sermon. I thought, okay, it, but that's like us. It's, it's, it's immaturity. The kids, they're, they're immature and that's kind of expected, you know. The kids, we teach from, from this age that, you know, it's, it's, it's all about them. We make a big deal about them. And sometimes I wonder if, if that's, you know, we're conditioning our children. You work that with the sin nature we're all born with. This is recipe for disaster. And, and so, um, no, I'm not, you know, a Nazi to my children, you know. No soap for you, you know, so we don't do that. But, but, you know, we do need to train up our children in the way they go. And we do need to teach the kids that, you know what, it is about the Lord. It's about God. And so, uh, let me give you some scriptural examples. Uh, because I think this will, this will help us uh, to get back. And that's the question. How do we get back to being God-centered and less self-centered? Because I believe if we'll get that on track, if we'll get back to being God-centered and less self-centered, this will do tremendous things uh, in our walk and help us to mature in our faith. Uh, let me give you some, some examples on how to get a, a true view of God. By, by the way, before I look at that, I know Henry has taught this, I guess, uh, last week. I heard Brother Mayo allude to it. You know, selfishness is sin. Selfishness is sin. In fact, Satan did the, the five I wills. Isaiah 14, you don't have to turn there, but Isaiah 14, verses 13 and 14, lists the five I wills of Satan. See, Satan's all about self. Listen to the five I wills of Satan. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the congregation. I will ascend above the height of the clouds. I will be like the Most High God. That's what Satan said. You see, selfishness is a sin. It's a form of pride. And I'm afraid too oftentimes that's what we're reflecting instead of what we should be reflecting. So think about that. Look at these examples. This is how we're going to get back to to a true view of God. Turn with me to Exodus. Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, 
verses 1 and following. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountains of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire. But the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will bow I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place where you stand is holy ground. Isaiah. Turn to Isaiah chapter 6. And I'll sum these up after we look at these three examples. Isaiah chapter 6. Verses 1 through 5. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two, He covered His face. With two, He covered His feet. And with two, He flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, Holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of Him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips." And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Turn with me to Acts. Look with me in Acts chapter 9. Verses 1 through 6. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, 
Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. We looked at three examples. Moses, Isaiah, and Saul turned Paul. And what, what do I see in these three examples? I get a glimpse of who God is. You know, church, we need to get a glimpse of who God is. Because when we get a glimpse of who God is, we begin to see ourselves. You know, I, I, Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Let that sink in a second. Let that get beyond the mind. Let that get to the heart. Hear it again. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Proverbs 9.10 You see, we need to get a true view of God. When Moses saw the burning bush... God acknowledged, this is holy ground. God is holy. When Isaiah got a glimpse of the throne room, holy, holy, holy was the description. Church, we need to get our eyes on Christ. We need to get our eyes on who God is. And get our eyes off of self, get our eyes off of our circumstances, get our eyes off of of, of the struggles we're facing, and we need to get our eyes on who God is. And there needs to be a, 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 a revival within our hearts of a reverential awe, a wonder, an amazement, an astonishment, as Paul said, of who He is. Let me, let me give you some more examples of, of, of this. Uh, if you're taking notes and you want to note point one, glo- God's glory. God's glory. Uh, turn to the first chapter of, of, of the Bible. Turn to Genesis 1. Most of you should be able to quote this. But uh, if you turn to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning... God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Go ahead and look down through chapter 1. And if you've got a pen, anytime you see God, circle it, underline it. Notice some of these. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. 
Verse 4, and God saw, God divided. Verse 5, God called the light. Verse 6, then God said... Verse 7, thus God made the firmament and divided the waters. Verse 8, and God called the firmament. Verse 9, then God, verse 10, and God called the dry land. Verse 11, then God said, let the earth bring. And all through there, this is about God. This book is about God. It's about His revelation to who He is, to His creation. So that we can see Him. So that we can know Him. So that we can glorify Him for who He is. His creation. This is a description. And and we've, we've heard other passages. We've read other passages. That the earth is full of God's glory. Why? So that it gives us a glimpse of Him. Of His might. Of His power. Of, of who He is. And we've lost sight of who God is because we've turned it on self. If we recognize for God and all His might and His majesty and His glory, and, and, and you look at the pictures of, uh, as Mel alluded to from the Hubble telescope, of the vastness and, the, and, the, and, and just the, the bigness of this thing called space, how small we are. And yet, self is on the throne in most cases. Lord, forgive us. Help us get a glimpse, a true view of who you are. Genesis chapter 1, the very beginning of the Bible, is about God's glory. Turn to Psalm 19.1. And I'm actually going to go through some of uh, these passages um, if you don't feel like turning, you want to listen, you can write them down and look them up later. But in Psalm 19, 1, if you're taking notes, your subpoint is see God's glory. God's, when it comes to God's glory, He wants us to see His glory. The heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament shows His handiwork. I encourage you tonight, just take a little step outside. Get somewhere away from the lights, and I want you to look up at the sky. The heavens declare the glory of God. Soak that in. Take time today. Look at the trees. Look at the birds, look at the squirrels, look at the the animals of His creation. Just take it in, look at it. This is His handiwork. He did this. He made this. Not you, not me. Not some aliens from another planet. God did this. It speaks to His glory. And we need to see that glory Not only should we see His glory, we should learn to serve. Turn to 1 Corinthians 10.31. Serve because of His glory. If you'll turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Listen to what it says. Therefore... Whether you eat 
or drink or whatever you do. Whatever means whatever. Whatever you do. Do all to the glory of God. Do all to the glory of God. Church, we've got to learn to serve for God's glory. We don't serve to be recognized by those sitting around us. In fact, God tells us in His Word, if we do that uh, to be men-pleasers, then we have our reward. Men will see it and recognize it, and they'll give you the glory. But no, our heart to do what God wants us to do, we should learn to serve for His glory. And if we get a pat on the back, that's fine. But to God be the glory. Too often times in, 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 our, in our churches, we, we've resorted to performance instead of praise. Whether you, you're, you're a Sunday school teacher, whether you're a choir member, whether you're a mu- musician, play an instrument, whatever we do, let it be for the glory of God. Not, not for our recognition, not for our... Uh, uh, so that I get a, another uh, pen on my lapel. 20 years. Hadn't missed a Sunday school service yet. I had a guy, he didn't quite do that, but he might as well. Not only do we need to see God's glory and serve for God's glory, the Bible tells us that even in the midst of sickness, uh, notice, turn to John The Gospel of John. Go to John 11. And listen to this passage. Chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. Now a certain man was sick. Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and and her sister Martha... It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. And of course, as you know, uh, with this story, eventually Lazarus does die, but only to be risen from the dead. And God receives the glory. Why was this man born blind? The disciples asked Jesus. Was it because his parents sinned? Did he sin? Is that why he's cursed with his blindness? Jesus says no. Neither. It's so that 
the works of God might be manifest. Again, why was it that? So that God could be glorified. So that God would be glorified. You know, some of us, we're facing sickness. Some of us know loved ones that are facing sickness. Can I encourage you to allow this moment to be about God's glory? I don't claim to understand why things happen the way they do. But I do know this. God is on the throne. And nothing comes into our life unless He's allowed it. And if He has allowed it, it's for His glory and our good. Encourage those through prayer, but may we see, Lord, help me. No, this is about You. To God be the glory. Whether we see, serve, sickness, look in Psalm. Uh, this is say. Psalm 145. Psalm 1. Forty-five verses 8 through 11. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all, and His tender mercies are over all His works. All your works shall praise you, O Lord, All your works shall praise you, O Lord, and your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power. Church, did you just hear what God expects of us? He says we're to speak. He says we're to say. We're to speak about the glory of God. We're to speak of the glory of His kingdom. We're to talk of His power. You've got an opportunity this week to go out and encourage others to come and, and, and hear about the glory of God. I want to encourage you to speak. Open your mouth. Talk and invite them. We need to, to recognize God's glory, seeing God's glory, serving for God's glory. Even in the midst of sickness, is for God's glory. And what we say should be spoken to the glory of God. Because of who God is, this should spark us to be God-centered in how we live. Because of who God is, That's what should spark us to be God-centered. That brings obedience. Um, When we recognize God for who He is, did you hear what Isaiah said in that passage we read a while ago? He, He ends up saying, you know, 
um, Lord, here am I, send me. He was willing to do what God would, would have him to do. When we begin to see God for who He is, when we get a true view of who God is, it should produce within us not only a reverential fear, a humbleness, a willingness to, to bow our life before our Creator, but it should invoke within us a deep seed of, of obedience. God, what would you have me do? Notice verse, uh, in 1 Peter, turn over to 1 Peter and verse, uh, in, in chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1. And we'll look at passages uh, 13, verse 13 through 16. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. You know, I used to walk a certain way. I used to live a certain lifestyle. And you guys have heard my testimony. Uh, you know, people look up here today, they see a pastor. I wasn't a pastor for 25 years. I was a punk. That was an 80s word. I think we ought to bring that word back, David. What do you think? Punks. Bunch of punks. You little punks. That's what they, you know, you, anyway. I was trouble. I was ignorant. I was a fool. That's the way I walked. That's the way I acted. That's the way I lived. But do you hear what this passage was saying? He said, this is not how we should be anymore. He says, gird up your, the loins of your mind. Get right. Be sober. Rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you in the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children. Not disobedient. Obedient children. Not conforming yourselves to the former lust, as in your ignorance. When, when, when I came to Christ and, and I received that new life, when I, when, when I put my trust in, in Him, He gave me a new heart, new desires. I want to go a new direction. I don't want to go back to the old way. Old things pass away. Behold, all things are becoming new. I'm beginning to see God for who He is. And that's the path I want to walk. I want to draw closer to Him because I'm beginning to understand that His Word says, if I draw close to Him, He'll draw close to me. And that's, that's a pretty sweet deal. I want to be close to my Maker. I want to be close to God. I want to understand His desire and will for my life. Because He's the one who made me. The manufacturer knows a lot more about the product. I, I want to know my Maker in a more intimate way. And He promised. If I'll submit to Him... Draw close to Him. He'll draw close to me. So, we, we look at God's glory and we, we see and we serve and, the, and we understand in sickness and what we say and, and hopefully it brings about obedience. But the last point that I want to talk about this morning is God's grace. 
You know, I started by saying that the first verse in this Bible speaks of, of, of God's glory. That first chapter, when you went through, it was all about God's glory. But I want you to turn to the very last verse and chapter of the Bible. The very last verse and chapter of the Bible. By the way, if you want to know more about this subject, I, I would encourage you to check out anything from John Piper. He's really good about speaking of God's glory and the glory of God. Uh, Frank Hamrick, a local fellow you know, uh, he's also uh, does a lot of workshops on this now and has some books out as well, uh, materials out that really point us in, in the right direction as far as focusing on the glory of God. But on the last verse of, of Revelation 22, verse 21, it says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. From the beginning of this book to the end of this book, you want to know what this book's about? It's summed up in those two points. It's all about God's glory and it's all about God's grace. That's what this book's about. God's glory and God's grace. Under grace... Uh, it's, it's, when you, you talk about grace, it's, also, it's found in the Savior. Notice John, and I'm going to try and go through these fast. Turn to the Gospel of John, uh, verse, or chapter 1. John chapter 1, verses 16 and 17 of John chapter 1. And of His fullness... We have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. When we speak of God's grace, that's what Jesus is all about. That's why Christ came. You know, the law is a tutor to bring us to Christ. We have to recognize our need for a Savior. We recognize our need for God's grace. We cannot do anything to save ourselves. We're dependent upon the grace of God. It's for the sinner. How do I know this? Look in Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 says this. Verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Verse 24, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Grace is found in our Savior. Grace is for the sinner. And turn to 2 Corinthians. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. 
Not only is God's grace brought to us through the Savior, it's for us as sinners, it's also sufficient. God's grace is sufficient. Paul had asked three times, remove this thorn in the flesh. But he came to realize, you know what? God's grace is sufficient. Because in our weakness, He's made strong. Because when you and I are weak, who do we look to? Self? We shouldn't. Do we look to fellow sinners? We shouldn't. We should look to the Savior. You see, when we're weak, He is made strong in our life because we make much more to do about God. When do you have those heartfelt cries to God? Not typically when everything's going your way. Not typically when, when everything's hunky-dory. But you let a tragedy come into your life. You let a situation that gets you so fearful and scared. Where do you find yourself? You're praying to God. You're flat out on your face. You're crying out. You're so scared in your soul. And you're, you're, you know, it's interesting because even an unbeliever, and don't say this out loud, but typically when an unbeliever gets frightened, the first thing that comes out of their mouth is, Oh my! What? Yeah. Because in, in the soul of man, we know there's a God. And we know He's our only source of help. Even those that suppress that truth in unrighteousness, we know it at the core. That's why we scream that when we get frightened. That's why unbelievers scream that when they get frightened. We know we need God's grace. And God's grace is sufficient. It's not about you, but let me tell you this. God's grace is sufficient for you in the midst of what you're facing. His grace is sufficient. Who are you going to believe, though? Are you going to believe what God has said when He tells you His grace is sufficient? Are you still going to try and do it your way? Are you still going to depend upon the the ideas uh, of man as opposed to what God has said? In conclusion, the book of redemption is about God's glory and grace. This book is about God's glory and grace. And you know, we could add a third. Don't worry, I'm not going to preach a third out, a third point. But we could and should say, not only is it about God's glory and grace, it is about His goodness. Amen? God has been good. He is good to us. Well, you know we've got homecoming coming up in a couple of weeks. And you know, when homecoming comes around, there's going to be a beautiful spread of food. So let me use that as an opportunity to paint an illustration for you. All that food that you'll see on that extended buffet line, it does no good for you and I to see all that food in its glory. And to look at, and you believe me, some of these ladies, they're going to decorate it up. It's going to be a masterpiece to look at. But it does no good to see its glory and never taste its goodness. 
We need, church, to savor the Savior. We need to savor the Savior. You see, homecoming food, you can come to it, and it's freely offered. That's a picture of grace. It's freely offered. But if you reject it, you'll never experience how good it is. You follow me? You see, it's the same with Jesus Christ. We can see Christ in all His glory. But it does us no good if we never taste His goodness. If we never receive the grace that's extended to us. God offers you grace. And when it comes down to it, heaven and hell is your choice. You can accept His grace and taste His goodness. Or you can reject it. Philippians 2.11 tells us that every knee will bow. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. You see, our life's all about to God be the glory. We need to get back to being God-centered, less self-centered. Let's pray.